Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for giving us wisdom. We thank you for uh, getting all of your people on track for your coming. Lord, uh, your appearance. And Lord, we love you. We want to finish this good work. We want to see your manifestation in us. We want to get rid of every spirit that is plaguing us and keeping us from coming into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to continue with We Need to Check Ourselves, number five. And we're going to call this first revelation, Escaping Jezebel Spirits. Winnie Asageda, 2523. I recently had a trial where I was having extreme heart palpitations for about two or three days. It felt as if someone was unplugging and then plugging my heart back in very quickly all day long. I had the temptation to be nervous, as I had never had this before, but decided to get prayer from David, and I also confessed anything that I knew of, uh, Chuck did not realize that I was dealing with this yet, but he woke up from a dream where I had died. And so we just continued to pray and believe. And although the palpitations kept coming, I just continued to cast it down and trust the Lord that I was healed. There were moments within that time period that Chuck and I were battling with bickering. I did hate it, and I did confess it and received prayer. But I realized there were areas in our marriage that Jezebel was still rearing its ugly head. There were places that I had not relinquished control out of fear or from just having my own opinion of how things should go in the matter. And although the Lord had definitely brought us a long way since we moved here, there was still much more that needed to be cleaned up in this area. I sought the Lord to reveal to me if there were any open doors for the enemy to be able to attack me in this way, and then I received the following dream. I dreamt that I was at a small wedding venue and I was getting ready to marry this man that was not Chuck. Oops. <laughs> uh, and I believe this is meaning uh, submit to and receive the seed of a spirit that was not Chuck. I still had awareness of Chuck in the dream and the awareness that I was already married to him, or at least that I was supposed to be. 
This other man, which we believe is a Jezebel spirit, as we will see, that I was getting ready to marry was a black, meaning walking in darkness, bald, meaning not submitted to God, actor, meaning masquerading a lie. That's what this spirit does. He was on a show that I used to watch many years ago called The Good Wife. His name on the show was Lamond Bishop, and he was a very eloquent criminal. Well, Lamond in Norse means uh, lawman, and Jezebel uh, will put you under its law. And Bishop means overseer, confirming lawman. In other words, uh, they're overseeing you. Right? You're under their authority, right? He was extremely well-spoken, charming, and articulate. However, he was extremely dangerous. Jezebel is dangerous and will kill you, she says, spiritually and sometimes physically. Yep, that's right. Uh, He was also a powerful Chicago drug lord. Well, Jezebel will lord over a person and skew their perceptions of right and wrong, drugs, right? Uh, The Jezebel spirit is known for ruling over households and churches and preachers, etc. It always seeks to overcome preachers. I mean, Jezebels make war against preachers, okay? 1 Timothy 2 and 12 says, But I permit not a woman to teach, nor to have dominion over a man, but to be in quietness. That is the word of the Lord. In my dream, he was the same exact character from the show. Lamond Bishop came downstairs to the venue where I was supposed to be getting ready. However, I was not dressed yet but was wearing gray sweats and uh, a white tee with black lettering on it. Hmm, That black and white reminds me of symbolizing the Word of God in your heart, because it was a T-shirt, right? Lamond was already dressed, and he was wearing a white suit with pinstripes of various colors on it. Uh, Chuck said that could represent being in prison or in bondage. Yep, I agree. He was speaking to someone in the front of the venue. So I went to talk to Anna and Matt Stewart, who were also there. And as I went to speak with them, I could see that Matthew was very upset with me and not really speaking to me. Matthew means gift of God. I knew that he was upset because I was getting ready to marry this man that I should not be marrying. I began to speak with Anna, and I asked her why Matt was being this way with me, and at first she did not answer me, but I followed her around and asked her again, and she then said that I was a fool if I married that man. That's true. Anna means grace, right? (laughs) 
receiving the criminal seed of Jezebel makes one a fool, I have to tell you. Uh, other people can see it better than the person who has it. I then began to ponder this, and I prayed to God to reveal to me if I was making a bad decision by marrying this man. For some reason, it did not seem as bad to me as it clearly was to God and everyone else. Well, there it is, right? And I asked the Lord to give me a clear answer, and I cast lots and received four tails to not marry this person and get away from him. I was afraid because I knew that he would come after me, but I grabbed my phone and bag and I ran out as fast as I could. Well, I think that we should fear to allow Jezebel in our life, for God hates Jezebel and her fruit. Speaking of Jezebel, God says, Revelation 2 and 23, And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he that searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto each one of you according to your works. But to you, I say, and to the rest that are in Thyatira, as many as have not this teaching, the Jezebel teaching, who know not the deep things of Satan. Did you get that? As they are wont to say, I cast upon you none other burden. I ran to Chuck's apartment or house that he had in this dream so that I could hide from Lamond because I knew he was coming to look for me. And I, uh, I lay in the bed with Chuck and I was on the right side of the bed just lying there quietly with him. Lamond then came in because for some reason he knew that I would go there. However, he could not see me because I was invisible as I lay there on the bed. Hmm. And her note is, uh, we are hidden when we are at rest and we are hidden when we are in submission to our husbands. Well, amen to that. So as Lamond was looking for me, I became nervous that he would find me. She shouldn't have done that. She got out of the rest, right? So I slid off the bed thinking that maybe I could be even more hidden if I crouched beside the bed. No, you got to be on the bed to be at rest, right? However, when I did that, he found me, yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, being outside of the rest and outside of the submission to our husbands makes us open to attacks, she said, truthfully. Lamond uh, threatened me with a weapon, and out of fear I gave in and went back to where he lived. He lived in a building with gray metal staircases and metal walls that I would say looked like an industrial factory. His apartment was on the top floor, and when I entered, there were groups of people there talking amongst themselves at different tables. This time Chuck was with me, and he sat across from me at a table. I looked over, and there was a huge rectangular cardboard box that a man was testing to see if a person could fit into 
by trying to fit a large dummy into it. And that dummy, of course, is another word for a fool, I would say. And uh, it's this is a grave here um, because you're dead to God if you're following a spirit that is not the spirit of God. So I looked over at Chuck again and began to weep because I knew that he was preparing that box for me and that the plan was to kill me, meaning spiritually, and put me in there. I was desperate to get out of this situation, so when Lamond left again for a moment, I ran to find an exit by checking different exits, and I finally found one. I went through the exit, and it led to the lobby of this building, and Lamond was there, and he saw me. I ran out of the building and flagged down a cop car, and they let me in the passenger seat, and then I woke up. <laughs> the law representing the Word of God, I'm sure. I asked Chuck to get me a, a verse by faith at random for this dream, and he received Matthew 10 and 1. And he called unto him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. That's a good one. I thought this was amazing and a great reminder not to turn from the enemy, but to confront him and cast him out because the Lord gave us authority over, even over the enemies. We deem uh, to be too strong for us to take down. Yeah, sometimes we think they are too tough, but they're not. Uh, at times I have felt grieved by my failure in these areas, but the Lord already defeated the enemy, and we can kick him out. Yes, you can. I also asked the Lord for a couple of verses by faith at random and received. Deuteronomy 1 and 21. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land, representing our natural life, before thee. Go up and take possession Yes, you, the spiritual man, are supposed to be ruling in that land, not the old man, right? As the Lord, the God of thy fathers, has spoken unto thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. Well, she said, this is a great one. Thank you, Lord. Yes, take the land. Take it away from the enemy. You have authority. Joshua 1 and 9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not affrighted. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest, she writes, right? And she goes on to say, this is a great confirmation to the other scripture and another great reminder that the Lord is with us and we just need to take the authority he has already given us. Amen. After I woke up from this dream, I went to our casual Sunday fellowship that afternoon and Anna said something that made me think of my dream, as well as confirmed some of the things the Lord was showing me. She said that when you marry your husband, you are now hidden in him because you take on his name. So the old you no longer exists. For example, me and Chuck would be Mr. and Mrs. Chuck Asagata. 
and she equated this with being hidden in Christ and taking on his name, and I thought that was a great point. Submission to our husbands keeps us safe, and it is ultimately obedience to the Lord that keeps us safe. Ephesians 5 and 22. I might add, Wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Hmm. Being himself the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. Hmm. Okay. After I received this dream, and I repented, and Chuck and I prayed, the heart palpitations were completely gone, as if they never existed, and I have not had it once since. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Found out what it was there for, right? So, we're going to call this next one a wonderful testimony and a word. It's from Katie, 12, 11, 23. On Sunday, I was with Tim, and there were some women who got up and were preaching on hope during the church service. They do Advent during the holidays, so people take turns preaching on uh, different topics each week for about 15 minutes each. Hmm. I randomly thought about how I'd feel if I were to go up there and preach, and I thought to myself, I'd feel naked. Before I could even think on that further, I heard the Lord say, quote, That's right, because your husband is your covering. Unquote. The rest of my communication with the Lord wasn't in words, but to sum it up, He showed me that I am to be hidden in my husband, and going up and preaching would be stepping outside of that covering. He then showed me further about the beauty of submitting to and honoring my husband, and about a meek and quiet spirit, and being in all subjection and submitting. It was beautiful. I agree. The other day I was thinking more on this. I've really been praying about this topic because it's so prevalent in so many churches and I was deeply confused as to why that is and how it can almost appear fruitful sometimes. For example, God is using those women to help people, and they speak good words sometimes. And here is a word I got when I was talking to the Lord about women preachers or teachers. Here it is. Quote, They are doing it to honor themselves. If they were doing it to honor me, they would be obedient to my word. Women being quiet and in all subjection honors me more than any words they can preach. Remember, my word goes against the flesh. A woman's flesh can feel in bondage when they obey and submit to this area of my word, and they are being greatly deceived by their flesh. They are wrongfully trying to break free 
This is rebellion. This is self-will and self-seeking. Take heed that you do not fall into the world's trap of feminist liberation that has crept into my church through the enemy. This is liberation of the flesh and spiritual bondage. I desire you to be free, and that freedom is found only in obedience to my word. Truly, obeying the word is our cross, because it puts to death the old man. So even the most beautiful sermon preached by a woman is still rebellion to my word, and they will be held accountable. Women who take authority are at risk of my judgment, no matter how spiritual they appear. Many curses are the result of this rebellion. In the world, women desire so greatly to be seen. I desire them to be hidden in Christ and in the bosom of their husband. Oh, if they only knew how beautiful it is. I do not command these things so that women are in bondage. No, rather because there must be order. Look at the destruction that has come from women taking charge in the family, at work, and in the church. When my order is flipped, chaos ensues. There is no room for compromise on this area. This is my command. You cannot bend, stretch, or twist my commandments. They are written in stone. Do not be deceived. Being used of me is not the same as being in my will. Being used of me is not a good judgment of your standing with me. I can use anyone whom I will to use. I have often used even vessels of dishonor who do not know me. Do you believe I am God of and over all? Your obedience to my word is what will be accounted for and how you are to judge your standing with me. You can do many mighty works whilst in rebellion. Yep, the Bible says that. Ah, Are you prepared to remain obedient in the midst of disobedience? Many will hate you and come against you for these things. Are you prepared to follow the lonely road of obedience? You will be hated, ridiculed, mocked, and isolated. Yes, even by people who claim to know me. But know that this is expected, for I face these things too. And if it is accepted by the multitudes, there is something wrong. I have called you to be holy, set apart. This comes at a great cost, a cost of many rejecting you. But take heart, for I will lead you to exactly where you need to be and bless you with like-minded people. I have heard your cries and your longing for fellowship. And in due time, I say, it is coming. I will place you exactly where you need to be. Take heart and be patient and know that I am training and equipping you. Are you covered? Are you hidden? If you are not, you are not only sinning, but you are causing men to sin. Any man who is under a woman is in sin. Any woman 
who is preaching, teaching, and exercising authority and rule over men, is ruling by the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel doesn't always have to appear headstrong and overbearing. She can just be rebellious. A woman preaching is in rebellion to my word. Truth coming out of her mouth does not change this fact. This is not a small thing. This is not something to overlook. Rebellion to my word is dangerous. Do not follow after any harlots, but come out from among them. Will you choose to be set apart, or will you compromise for the sake of pleasing men and desire to fit in? I want to remind you the narrow path can often be lonely, for it is the road less traveled. Few find it. Compromise is broad and wide. Obedience is narrow. Do not feel like there is something wrong with you if many disagree with you. Being in agreement with my word should be more important than being in agreement with men. I remind you again that man will come against you for these things. Obedience to my word brings separation and division between the wheat and the tares. Amen. Count the cost and choose obedience, for it reaps well springs of life, where disobedience leads only to death. I am gracious and merciful, but everyone who goes against my word and does not repent will be brought into judgment. There is no valid excuse to bring before me. Follow me and my ways. Do not let anyone confuse you. If it is contrary to my word, it is not of me. Choose to be hidden in your husband and submit to and honor his authority. It is not your job to teach or preach. Your job is to serve. Rejoice in this, for the greatest were called servants. Yes, even I rejoice and rest in this. You are perfectly equipped and built for your role as a woman. Just as it is true in the physical, the spiritual garments of a man will never fit you properly. And behold, I have sewn you perfect garments that fit just right. Women preach for regard and praise. Their labor is in vain. For I say unto you, the women who are the most hidden shall be the ones who receive the most glory. Do things for the glory of your husband. Just as you do these things for my glory, you should seek to honor and please your husband in all areas. Not other people, not yourself but seek to honor and bring glory to your husband. Make this your focus and take your eyes off of self. Put your husband first, regard him as Lord, and do what is fitting. You may feel like you need to speak, but remember that I showed you the power of being quiet. Blessings follow when you are in obedience to my will. I will lead you to where you should be. I will lead you to women who will be able to encourage you and grow you in this area. Be patient 
and wait as I am currently doing a work in you in this area myself. So I want to touch upon this um, following false spirits uh, and submitting to the Lord. Uh, And I'm going to call this the born again soul. I want to say, Father, thank you for giving wisdom, discernment, and understanding that motivates us to holiness so that we may escape this great falling away that we know is happening at this time. And thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy towards us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. In First Peter 1 and 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat us again unto a living hope. That's the Greek uh, word anagenau, meaning to beget again. And it's a combination of ana, up again, and genau, give birth. In other words, born again, or born from on high, right? We were born again unto a living hope. Uh, Okay, so we are born again, and we still have hope, right? It's not a step-over-the-line type thing, right? And when we were first born again, it was our spirit that was born again. The soul is born again in a different manner, as we'll see. 1 Peter 1 and 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was a living hope because when he was resurrected, we were resurrected. However, that's by faith. And as we exercise faith in that promise, we receive the manifestation of it if we continue on in the faith. First Peter 1 and 5 says, Who by the power of God are guarded through faith unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh-oh. So you're guarded through your faith until you come to the manifestation of your salvation. It's clearly saying that. You have to continue in the faith. A person who doesn't continue in the faith doesn't get what they've believed for. Because Jesus said in Mark 11 and 24, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them, and you shall have them. And also, in Matthew 10 and 22, He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. Hmm. So salvation comes at the end of enduring the trial of your faith. If you don't endure to the end, you will not be saved. It's very clear. You have to endure in your faith to the end, knowing that your faith is going to be tested. First Peter 1 and 6 says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been put to grief in manifold trials. The Greek there means various temptations. You are getting to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. Your faith is is going to be tested. 
and you must hold fast the confession of your hope that it waver not, Hebrews 10 and 23. If you do that, you'll come to verse 9, which says, 1 Peter 1, 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So, the beginning of your faith is that born-again experience in verse 3 where you receive a born-again spirit. The end of your faith is the born-again soul. It's the soul where you bear the fruit of what you received in your spirit. Now, obviously, what's been put into your spirit has to go into your soul. So, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's where you bear the fruit. You're not the good seed put into the ground, quote-unquote, until you have that initial born-again experience of a born-again spirit. Then you're the good seed, and then you have to bear fruit because when the harvest comes, he's coming to pick the fruit. Some people don't endure to the end in order to bear the fruit in their soul, and that is why the falling away happens. The falling away happens because most people don't think they have to bear fruit, which is even the salvation of your souls, quote-unquote. Glory to God. With that in mind, we can continue. First Peter 1 and 21 says, who through him are believers in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope might be in God. Verse 22, Seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth. Notice what purifies your soul is your obedience to the truth which was given in your spirit. Peter was speaking only to true believers here, obviously. And in 1 Peter 1 and 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect who are sojourners of the dispersion. He wasn't speaking to those who were just the called, but those who were the elect, because the elect are the ones who always bear fruit. Elect means chosen. And that is because they have borne fruit. Matthew 22 and 14 says, For many are called, but few are chosen. So, chosen is the Greek eklektos, or elect, meaning elect, select by implication, favorite, unquote. So, you may truly be called and may have had a born-again spirit. But will you have a born-again soul? That's where you bear the fruit. Will you go on to bear fruit in your mind, your will, and your emotions? This is how you make your calling and election sure. Second Peter 1 and 10. Quote, Seeing you have purified your souls, unquote, means that you have to see the end from the beginning. You have to walk by faith. You have to believe it was done at the cross. And this is what you see 
in your spirit. You see it as done, as finished. Hebrews 10 and 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Notice, by the offering you were perfected, even before you existed. <laughs> okay? First Peter 1 and 22, Seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth. If you don't want to fall away, you have to be obeying the truth. And for you to obey the truth, you have to walk by faith as you search for the truth. You search for wisdom as gold. Job 28, 16 and 17. Proverbs 3, 14 and 16, 16. So, continuing with verse 22. Unto the unfeigned love. So the most important thing is love. And many people have feigned love. And prove by their actions that they do not love. And of course, they are in danger of falling away. So unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently, having been begotten Again, he's talking to Christians to be born again. Where can you be born again as a Christian? In your soul. That's the Greek word, anagenao, meaning born again from above. And when you're first born again, you don't know much about the Bible. But you, do, you don't have to, because all you have to do is repent and want the Lord to take over your life. That's all you need. Repent, which means change your mind and believe the first message that you have of the gospel. That's all you have to do. But after that, as you search for the truth and obey the truth, you will have fruit in your soul. In other words, you're going to be coming into the image of Jesus. In other words, you will be renewing your mind with the mind of Christ, which will enable you to bear fruit by your faith in what you understand. God will give you power when you believe what you read. Some of you reading this might go to churches and might not get enough word to overcome anything that you've already been indoctrinated with. You need to get this on your own by searching out the truth. God's people will love the truth, and all of the elect will love the truth, and they will love Him enough to obey it. First Peter 1 and 22 says, Seeing that you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth, Unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently, having been begotten or born, same word, again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God. There's only one incorruptible seed. It is the word of God, which liveth and abideth. What's the incorruptible seed? It's the word of God. And again, when you first come to the Lord, do you know the Word of God? No, you don't. But this is the second part of being born again 
and that is born again in your soul. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the Word of God. The Word of God corrects our thinking. You do have to seek the truth, and you do have to obey the truth. But He will do it in you as you believe the truth. You can obey the truth because you believe that you were united with Him in the death, burial, and resurrection and that your sins were taken away. Romans 6 and 5. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away, so that we should no longer be in bondage to sin. For he that hath died is justified from sin. You can obey the truth because you believe the gospel that you were made free from sin. Romans 6 and 22. But now, being made free from sin, oh, that's an act of faith, right? That's a belief in faith, right? And become servants to God, you have your fruit unto sanctification. And the end, the end, eternal life. Oh, we thought we had that when we first stuck our toe into the kingdom, right? And uh, as you exercise faith in that, sin won't have power over you because you believe it's been conquered already. John 16 and 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me... You may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Yes, amen. First Peter 1 and 24 says, For all flesh is as grass. Now we do go through this crucifixion of the old flesh, and when you receive the Word of God, you're obeying your spirit. That means you're not obeying your flesh. If it dies a little more each time you do that, you're weaning it. The flesh is used to getting its way, but you're weaning it. First Peter 1 and 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory thereof as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower falleth. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. So the flesh is going down as you put your trust in God, right? It's being destroyed. And the inner man is coming forth. So this word which you put in your heart, that is the end eternal life, he said. In the end eternal life. The word of the Lord abideth forever, he said. The word is eternal. The grass or the flesh is temporal, but this is eternal. We become the word made flesh, and that is like Colossians 1 and 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is the flesh eternal? No, Christ in you is eternal. 
First uh, Peter 1 and 25. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. And this is the word of good tidings which was preached unto you. This is the gospel. Not that other apostate teaching which says just accept Jesus. Which is not scripture. He doesn't accept you unless you repent and believe, quote, unquote. And that's a continual process. It's not a step-over-the-line, one-time profession that religion would have you believe. This purifying of your soul comes by obeying the truth, which is what James was talking about. James 1 and 21 says, Wherefore, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted, this is the, the Greek emphutos, uh, and it means inborn, innate, rooted. So the implanted word, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He's talking to Christians on how to save their souls. How? Through your obedience to the truth, as we just read. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deluding your own selves. Many are deceived. Multitudes of what are called Christians are deceived. They don't think they have to walk in the truth. They think they can walk in the flesh, even though Paul said clearly in Romans 8 and 13, if you live after the flesh, you must die, talking to Christians. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. There's a condition. If. If. James 1 and 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the mirror. So beholding the natural face is contrary to what we're commanded to do. If you see your old man in the mirror, you're never going to be anything but the old man. But Second Corinthians 3 and 18 says, But we all, that's if we have eyes to see and some don't have eyes to see, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. So this transformation of your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, is taking place as you see that Jesus is in the mirror. You claim him as you. In other words, it's a gift from the Spirit as you continue to behold Jesus in the mirror by faith. So this is the gospel. You don't live anymore. Jesus lives in you. Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life 
which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So he gave himself to us, and he took our self and nailed it to the cross. So when you're looking in the mirror, you're seeing Jesus because you accept this by faith. It's an imagination that you must hold on to so that you come into his image more and more from glory to glory, quote unquote. You see Jesus in the mirror by faith because it's already done. The reconciliation or the exchange of his life for yours has been accomplished. Second Corinthians 5 and 18, But all things are of God, who reconciled, that means exchanged, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. So we don't live in us. He does, right? And when we minister to others, we're supposed to be, by the gospel, reconciling them. In other words, exchanging their old life for Christ's new life. That's how we preach faith to them. John 3 and 13 says, And no one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. You see who's going to heaven? Jesus. If you don't have this exchange, you can't go to heaven. (laughs) So when you see your natural self in the mirror, or in other words, when you see your old stinking self, you're not exercising any faith there. You're not calling Romans 4 and 17 the things that are not as though they were. In other words, you're not considering what what happened at the cross as yours. There's no faith involved there. So how can you grow? How can you be anything more than what you are? And some people are quite content to be that, but they're not going to bear fruit. James 1 and 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth away and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So when people begin to look at self too much, they begin to fall into denial. It's the only way that they can have any peace. When you read the Word, it tells you what Jesus looks like. And then you can say, that's mine, because you see him in the mirror. And if you look in the mirror at self and say, I don't want to look like that, you're not exercising the power of faith. You'll not overcome. You'll not always be a hearer and not a doer. Excuse me, you will always be a hearer and not a doer. James 1 and 25. But he that looketh into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and so continueth, Being not a hearer that forgetteth, but a doer that worketh, this man shall be blessed in his doing. So, when you read the Word of God and you see what it's saying contrary to what you're doing, act on it then because you're going to forget it if you don't. 
not a hearer that forgetteth. First right. John 3 and 9. Whosoever is begotten, the Greek word is the same, genao, meaning born, of God, whosoever is born of God doeth no sin. The part of you that's born of God does not sin. When you sin, that's when you have stepped outside of Christ. There's no sin in him. When you have a, a renewed soul, a born-again soul, that is in the image of Jesus because you held fast to the words your spirit received from God through the word. Then you're going to overcome. Think about how many things you've overcome since you came to know the Lord. Things you don't even consider doing anymore. And if the devil tried to tempt you with them, you'd laugh at him, right? God wants to continue that process all the way to the end. God wants to continue it until you have at least 30, then 60, and finally a hundredfold fruit. In the parable of the sower, the seed you put in your heart is the seed of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. If you're putting any other thing in there that's not the Word of God, it has no power to bring forth Jesus Christ. You must put the Word in there, and you will obey it as you walk by faith. There is a born-again man that is growing in you. He's taking ground. He's taking that promised land away from the old Canaanite, the old sinner in the land. If you're hearing and obeying the Word of God, you're conquering this land. The problem was that when the Israelites were going into their land, they forgot faith. They forgot what God said. But Joshua and Caleb didn't forget. They kept reminding them, but they wouldn't listen. So the Israelites died in their wilderness, which is a warning to us. Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land in their bodies. The rest died in the wilderness. First John 3 and 9. Whosoever is begotten or born of God doeth no sin, because his seed abideth in him. That's your spiritual man who is supposed to be growing and taking ground away from the carnal man, right? So that seed is the Word of God, not any religion. But know that after you receive the initial born-again experience, you're going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. And if you give up the seed and you accept what the devil says, guess what? You're accepting you're accepting the devil's seed. What does that end up being? A tear. You don't want to give up the seed of God. It has the power to bring eternal life, manifestly, in your life. First John 3 and 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doeth no sin, because his seed abideth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God or begotten of God. The part of you that's born of God is not going to sin because it's God in you. 
That's where you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is Christ God? Of course. Okay. So that's where you have Christ in you, where the, where you're obeying the Word of God. And that part of you is not going to sin, but there are other parts of your promised land that you haven't conquered yet. You haven't killed the old man. You haven't taken his house. You haven't raised your own crops on his property, and so on. You have to march through the whole promised land because God said that every place you put the sole of your foot, in other words, bring under your submission, He's going to give it to you. Deuteronomy 11 and 24 and Joshua 1 and 3. You already know the parts of you that are born again because you're not tempted in those areas anymore. God changed you. And that wasn't an accident. You had faith in what the Word said. You acted on it. 1 John 3 and 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Notice it doesn't make any difference if you uh, shook a preacher's hand or stepped across the threshold. Uh, This is how you know the children of God. In this the children of God are manifest. And the children of the devil. Do you know that children of the devil go to church too? Of course. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. Ah. So they are not of God. They are not doing what the word tells us to do uh, if we sin. First John 1 and 7 says... But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's the light of the word, right? We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. Wow. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That is, when you sin, if you say you don't sin, which a lot of people do, you're just deceiving yourself. And the truth is, not in us. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look how easy it is to get rid of sin and have a clean heart. Confess your sins. When you sin, you can confess it and forsake it. And He will wash you clean. He will wash you of all unrighteousness. And that's part of your tools along with the way you stay clean before God. If you're not going to confess your sin and you choose to justify yourself instead, then you won't be able to hold fast to your faith and you are going to fall away. It's a choice. You can just hide your sin around the people of God and make yourself acceptable to them as a deceiver or you can confess your sin, and God will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So let's choose wisely to believe and confess and forsake this worldly way. Choose to accept that you've purified your soul in your obedience to the truth. Choose to continue to obey the truth so that you can go on to take that promised land and bear fruit in your soul which is your mind, 
your will, and your emotions. Choose to allow the fiery trial to burn up that old grass, which is the flesh. 1 Peter 1 and 24. 1 Peter 2 and 1 says, Putting away, therefore, all wickedness and all guile and all hypocrisies. So those who preach that you're always going to be a sinner, saved by grace, are liars. They are anti-Christ, and they've never even gotten a revelation of the gospel. If you're always going to be a sinner, saved by grace, then you didn't get saved by grace. Think about it. If you're always going to be a sinner, you didn't get saved by grace. Grace comes through your faith in the Word of God to save you from sin, because sin brings death, right? So God doesn't save you so that you can sin and get away with it. He comes to save you from sin because you confess it, you forsake it, and you want God. Then you believe He took away the sin of the world. Romans 6.11 Even so, reckon ye yourselves to be dead unto sin. That means consider it done. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you were crucified with Christ and you don't live anymore. He lives in you. That's your spoken word of faith. These people will be known because God is more important to them than sin. And that's the trial. The church is full of hypocrisies and guile and deception by people. Jude 1 and 12 says, Who are hidden rocks in your love feasts when they feast with you. Shepherds, by the way, shepherds was added in because it's not just shepherds, it's everybody. When they feast with you, that without fear feed themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, blown about by every wind of doctrine, right? Autumn leaves without fruit, twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Yes, they will be shown to be twice dead. In other words, born again and died again. Plucked up by the roots. They're full of guile and are hidden. They're deceivers who want you to believe they're somebody and that they're not. Okay? Instead of confessing their sins to someone who is faithful or at least confessing them to the Lord, They'd rather deceive themselves and delude even themselves and deceive others. 1 Peter 2 and 1. Putting away, therefore, all wickedness and all guile. He wouldn't say it if he didn't believe you could do it. And hypocrisies, because it's, it's all over. And envies and all evil speakings. As newborn babes, notice, they're born again in their spirit. 
as newborn babes long for the spiritual milk which is without guile, that you may grow thereby unto salvation. Notice, here's somebody that's born again that has to grow thereby unto salvation. Notice that we newborn babes must grow unto salvation. What did Jesus tell his disciples? John 4 and 34. Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. That's also true for all of us. Our meat is to do the will of him that sends us. Our meat is to be a doer of the word. How are we going to grow up only on milk? You're not, because you have to be a doer of the word. When Jesus was teaching the multitudes, he protested unto them in Luke 6 and 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? Hmm, I guess that doesn't make him Lord if you don't do what he says. You haven't made him Lord. You might say it, but you're not doing it. So we're growing into the manifestation of our salvation. The manifestation is what you're looking for when you go out into the field to pick the fruit. You might believe that the seed is going to bring forth wonderful fruit, but you're not going to go out there to pick it until it's above the ground and you can see it. That's what you're here for. The earth is the field. Matthew thirteen thirty-seven through 39 And we're here to bear fruit. God only wants the fruit. Did you know that? He only wants the fruit. That's the spiritual man. Okay. First Peter 2 and 3. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious unto whom coming a living stone rejected indeed of men. So if you don't want to be rejected of men, you're going to do what it takes to make them happy. But it's more important to make God happy because he has eternal life for you, right? But with God, elect precious you also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So when the priests offered sacrifices, what did they offer? They offered flesh, burnt flesh. <laughs> Acceptable to God, it goes on to say, through Jesus Christ. If you're not sacrificing your old man, your old flesh, your old lying, deceiving flesh, you're not entering the kingdom. So when you're in the fiery trial, you're making a decision. Do you want more of Jesus or do you want more of the flesh? If you obey the flesh, you get more of the flesh. If you obey Jesus, the flesh is crucified because it doesn't get what it wants. It's on the altar of fire, and it's burned up. This is how you get more of Jesus and bear more fruit. So in the trial, which he said you're going to go through, 
you decide to obey the Word even though you can feel the old flesh drawing on you and the devil beyond that, right? Drawing on you. Oh, this would be so much better if you just keep on going the way you are, right? You can feel it every time you're tested or tempted to do something other than obey the Word of God. The Word puts you on your cross. If you don't obey it, you're not on the cross. And if you don't take up your cross and follow Jesus, you're not His disciple, which means a learner and a follower. You're not following in the steps of Jesus, Matthew 10 and 38 and 16 and 24. 1 Peter 2, 6 says, Because it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be put to shame. How can you prove that you believe on him? The Bible says in James 2 and 26, Even so, faith apart from works is dead. If you believe, and if you have faith, you will act on your faith. But there are a lot of people who are going to be put to shame. Verse 7, For you, therefore, that believe is the preciousness. But for such as disbelieve, so it will be proven in the midst of the trial whether or not you believe, right? But for such as disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected. Hmm. So if you disbelieve, you're rejecting Christ, the Word of God. You may claim, I've never rejected Jesus. But if you don't obey Him in the midst of the trial, then you're not believing on Him. You've rejected the stone which the builders rejected. Just like those early people did. And you're shamed right there. 1 Peter 2 and 7 says, For you, therefore, that believe is the preciousness, but for such as disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected. The same was made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Oh, so God's weeding out the tares, right? It's always the disobedient who stumble and fall away. They're disobedient because they're not believing the Word. They've made up a convenient doctrine so that they can live in the flesh and still go to heaven. Even people who know better can fall into the trap when they stumble on the rock of offense, when they stumble over the Word of God. The Word comes to prove and to test you. He that is of God hears the Word of God, Jesus said. The Word comes to empower you with faith and deliver you. Like a two-edged sword, it will cut away that which is fleshly and demonic. Second Corinthians 7 and 1. Having therefore these promises, beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Now, he wouldn't tell you to do this unless you could do it. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You're called out of darkness to come into the light of the Word, the wisdom of God. And that darkness is the darkness of your unregenerate soul that's not born unto God. You see, parts of your soul are born unto God because you've been obedient to God there. And there are parts of your soul where you're not obedient to God, and those places are where your promised land hasn't been taken away from the carnal man of the land, the Canaanite. He must put to death in order for you to take the land, 30, 60, and 100 fold. The grace of God gives you the opportunity to do that. In 1 Peter 2 and 10, we're told, Who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God. So how do you become the people of God? Well, when you're born again, it's God Himself who lives in you. And the part of you that obeys God is His kingdom. That's where He rules. His kingdom is where He rules. But the part of you that doesn't obey Him is not His kingdom, because He doesn't rule there. The more and more you obey, the more and more of you comes into the kingdom of God. That sounds simple, but it's overlooked. 1 Peter 2 and 10 says, Who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 1 Peter 4 and 1, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ye yourselves also with the same mind. What is that mind? Suffer in the flesh. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So in order to get to the place where you cease from sin, you have to suffer in the flesh. In other words, you have to tell the flesh, No, you're not ruling me. I'm ruling you. If you're being crucified and the old man is being put to death, it's painful. It's painful to give up the things that you have to give up in order to have Christ. But as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. So if you don't let your outer man decay, the inner man is not renewed because they both occupy the same territory. If you're not putting to death the old man in the land, you're not taking the territory. Remember, the Israelites were told, 
Take up your swords and go and take your promised land. And that God would be with them. And every place they put the sole of their foot, God would give it to them. They were to take out the enemy everywhere they went. That's your old man, the old man of the land. God said, don't appease them, kill them. That's a type and a shadow of how your old man, your old life, has to die. It can't be reformed. 1 Peter 4 and 1, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ye yourselves also with the same mind. You see, it's good. It's a good thing to suffer in the flesh because you are ceasing from sin when you do that. When you deny yourself and when you take up your cross and follow Jesus, you will suffer in the flesh. Your cross is obedience. Jesus obediently went to his cross and he even said that it was for this reason that he came into the world. Matthew sixteen twenty one and 22. But the disciples tried to talk him out of it. <laughs> tried to talk him out of going to his cross. Uh, Matthew 16 and 23. Well, now we can see a parable there. Of course, there are many people who will try to talk you out of going to your cross. But Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. And we ought to say the same thing. Matthew 4 and 10. 1 Peter 4 and 1 says, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ye yourselves also with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You don't want to suffer? Well, you're not going to bear fruit. Consider suffering in the flesh to be ceasing from sin. If you don't cease from sin, that means sin is going to rule you. If sin rules you, you're going to fall away. Verse 2, that you no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. The rest of your time? You mean you can obey the Lord the rest of your time? That's what he said. Why? Because you were crucified with Christ. You don't live anymore. He lives in you. Mm -hmm. So if you're questioning, David, is that really possible? Some people say it's not. Don't pay any attention to them. They don't know the gospel. Do you mean that all these preachers lied to me about how I just have to accept my forgiveness and go on sinning? You need to read that verse again that you no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. And how do you do that? You do that by suffering in the flesh. First Peter 4 and 3, For the time past may suffice to have wrought the desire of the Gentiles, and to have walked in lasciviousness, that's a license to do whatever you want to do, right? Lusts, wine-bibbings, revelings, carousings, and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it's strange that you 
run not with them into the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do think it's strange that you don't run with them into the same excess. Well, if you humble yourself to them, and if you're really interested in impressing them, of course, you're going to get into the same things that they're into, and you're going to lose your salvation. No matter how much the preacher tells you, you can't lose your salvation. He is a liar. So I know some people teach that uh, you won't lose your salvation, but we're seeing how ridiculous that is. The elect are not going to lose their salvation, but many of the called will. The elect are the chosen because they bear fruit. Those people running in the excess of riot don't understand that they will eventually have to answer to God. 1 Peter 4 and 5. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the living and the dead. So the Lord will judge the living and the dead. If you continue on in your riotous living, doing everything the way you want to do it, and not putting to death the sin, you will fall away. Or you're already falling away, and you're just a fake. Right? 1 Peter 4.17 For the time is come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Yes, God uses the wicked to judge the house of God. And then God judges the wicked. That's his method. Because somebody has to put you on your cross. The apostate people of God, that's the fallen away people of God, and the Romans put Jesus on the cross. You need to walk in the judgment of God. That old flesh needs to die. You need to suffer the loss of self because self cannot go to heaven. Self, which is synonymous with soul in Scripture, literally uh, from the gospel to other gospels, you see that in one place it's soul and the other place it's self. It's synonymous. Uh, Is not going to heaven. It has to die here. Contrary to what they say, they think you get rid of all flesh when you go to heaven. Oh no, this is where the fruit is born. This is where the fruit is picked. 1 Corinthians 15 and 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. That should be simple. Every seed that goes into the ground is put to death by the dirt around that seed. Just consider all that stuff around you to be dirt. But then life comes out and starts bearing fruit. The seed pops out of the dirt, right? And there has to be a death before a life. So this judgment begins at the house of God because you have to have time to bear fruit before your time is up. And that seed uh, actually dies and comes forth, right? That's why it's called a race. Hebrews 12 and 1. 
Therefore let us also, seeing that we are compassed about but by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Hmm. He endured the cross. Are we to endure the cross? So, he endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you're racing against the clock to bear fruit before your time is up. Mm. Yeah, you're not racing other people. You're racing against the clock. First Peter 4 and 17, For the time is coming, for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begin first at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And it doesn't matter if they call themselves a Christian. What's going to be the end of them if they don't obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, that's the Greek word molus, and it means only with difficulty, very rarely. <laughs> it's difficult because your flesh is dying, you see. Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? So if the righteous is scarcely saved, what about these people who are not obeying the word? So, wow. If, if you're going to be a sinner for the rest of your life, it doesn't look good there, does it? How about the righteous? The righteous are doing much better. <laughs> There's not as many of them because they're scarcely saved. But there are lots of sinners, even in church. The devil loves to go to church. And you're either in one camp or the other. First Peter 4.19 says, Wherefore, let them also that suffer according to the will of God some people avoid suffering at all cost, but it says, according to the will of God, commit their souls in well-doing unto a faithful Creator. He is able to create in you the Son of God if you will suffer the loss of your old man. God is trying to create your soul into the image of Jesus Christ, and that happens through your obedience to the truth. And the reason you can obey the truth is because you have faith. If you have faith, you're going to have obedience because, James 2 and 17 says, faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. In other words, it is not faith. If you believe, you're going to act in agreement with your belief. 18. Yea, a man will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works, and I by my works will show thee my faith. Amen. That's how you show faith. You will act on it. 
Second Peter 1 and 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained a like precious faith with us in the righteousness of our God and the Savior Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, that's where grace and peace comes from. A like precious faith that acts. Grace and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Quote, unquote. How sad that so many people don't have time to search the Scriptures and don't make time to get the New Testament down in their heart. There's too many other things distracting them that are more important. But call to mind how the seed was destroyed in the parable of the sower. Did you see that? Yeah. The distractions of life is why those who heard did not continue on to bear fruit. In Second Peter 1 and 2, Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing, this means seeing by faith. This is how you have to see things now, the way God says you are to see things. Seeing that his divine power hath granted, it's past tense, meaning it's already done. He's already given you this. Seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life. And that word in the Greek is zoe, which means life, both of physical, present, and of spiritual, particularly future, existence. Strong's goes on to say, it always only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. It's God's life. The Lord intimately shares His gift of life with people, creating each in His image, which He gives all the capacity to know His eternal life. This is God's life. So unto us, all things that pertain unto life have been given. That's God's life. It's not your old soulish life, which is suke. Zoe is the higher life that you get when you give up the suke, the lower life, the self-life. He's giving you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He did this at the cross. And you can have grace and peace multiplied to you when you believe on this and when you apply it in your life. Second Peter 1 and 3, seeing that his divine power hath granted, it's already done, unto us all things that pertain unto life, God's life, and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue. You have to know what God has given to you, and then you can exercise faith in it. You have faith in God, and God will rise up in you and do the work. Thank God it's by faith and not by our own self-efforts. 
Second Peter 1 and 4 says, Whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature. So those pro- promises, when you put them in your heart, you're becoming a partaker of the divine nature. If you're going to live a godly life, you need the divine nature. And the promises are what give you this divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that's in the world by lust. Oh, some people say that's not possible. You're just going to be a sinner saved by grace the rest of your life. Well, you might be a sinner, but you're not saved by grace. You must escape the corruption that is in the world by lust, or you will have a falling away, because God doesn't want this in heaven. The Greek word epithumia, which is translated as lust, means simply desire, eagerness for, inordinate desire. The lusts are those desires of the flesh, And the Bible says in Romans 8 and 13, if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that's the acts of the flesh, you shall live. So we need to put the promises into our hearts in order to partake of the divine nature so that the corruption does not overcome us. Otherwise, we're falling away. God instructed Moses, Exodus 16 and 4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. So Jesus said that he was that manna that came down out of heaven to give life to the world. I will rain unto you bread from heaven, for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may prove them. Uh Uh-oh. God was testing them to see if they would be obedient to him and get their daily portion of manna. In other words, whether they will walk in my law or not, it says. So, get your daily portion of manna. You can't save it up for tomorrow. As you know, it just corrupts if you do that. And you missed it. The people like to belittle the necessity of spending time in the Word every day, but that's exactly what God expects you to do. I know some of you have much, you know, responsibility. Maybe you're a wife and you have lots of children to take care of. That is a responsibility, and you can continue on through the day putting it in them too, you know. He expects you to be obedient and to eat the Word daily just like they gathered and ate the manna in the wilderness daily, you're being proven. Your obedience is being tested. You're here to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow Him. How do you know how to follow Him unless you read the Word? Second Peter 1 and 5, Yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith. So, there's not supposed to be any comma behind diligence. It's supposed to be behind faith. You're to be diligent in your faith. Because you can't add anything. You can't be diligent in any of the attributes that he's uh, getting ready to mention here. 
You have to use the faith that God has given to you. And if you haven't been given faith, you're not saved. Because to each has been given the measure of faith, right? So inside faith are all these other attributes, which are all given to you because of your faith. In a lot of Bible translations, they have add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge. Look at this. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue. And all the other attributes are added to your faith. But that's not correct according to both the original language and the numeric pattern. It's this way. Listen carefully. Second Peter 1 and 5. Yea, on, for this cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, comma, supply virtue, and in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, patience, and in your patience, godliness. It, not, it's not adding to, adding to, adding to. Each is inside the previous attribute. In your patience, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Notice, all of the attributes are in faith. Notice. these Everything is yours in faith. It's already been done. All you have to do is believe. You see? These attributes are like those nesting dolls. Or one of those little toy eggs that when you open it up, there's another one. And then you open that one up, and there's another one. And then you open that one up, and there's another one inside, right? So notice, at the center of the eggs is love. God wants love from His people and love for one another. And if you don't have that, you're not going to make it to heaven. Notice, He wants patience in that list James 1 and 4 and let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire lacking in nothing oh they say that's not possible if you're patient in your faith you will lack nothing then at the end of the list of attributes of Jesus we see 2 Peter 1 and 8 for if these things are yours and abound. They make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, towards the beginning of the list is, uh, is knowledge. And now we see that knowledge begets knowledge of the Lord. It's because it's line upon line. You have to build from the foundation up, right? So he gives you things. Then he gives you more things. He calls it line upon line. You're a little and there a little. And so you get a little bit every day. You know, get your manna. If you exercise faith in the promise of God, you receive of his divine nature. So because you believe that you were crucified with Christ, because you believe that your old man was put to death when you were buried in baptism as an act of faith, then the old man is dead. And the one who comes up out of the water is Jesus, not you. John 12 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, 
It abideth by itself alone, but if it die, it beareth much fruit. So if the seed is the word of God, what is the fruit? Well, it's the fruit of Jesus. Jesus is the word. It's the fruit of Jesus. Notice that that fruit has the seed within it. Hmm. So, it's not gaining souls, it's gaining your own soul. Certainly, if you gain your own soul, you'll be able to be useful in gaining other souls. But you can't give away what you don't have. The seed is in the fruit. First Peter 1 and 8, For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacketh these things is blind. He's blind because he doesn't see correctly. He sees only his natural face in the mirror and doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. 1 Peter 1 and 9 says, For he that lacketh these things is blind, seeing only what is near, having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. Have you forgotten that you were cleansed of your sins? You don't have this sin anymore? You don't have to live with it anymore? It was taken away by Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus bore your sicknesses, you have to believe your sins were borne by Jesus. Isaiah 53 and 5, 1 Peter 2 and 24. You don't have a problem with sin. You may have a problem with unbelief. The problem of sin has been dealt with. So the next biggest problem is unbelief. But if we want the grace of God, we have to walk by faith. Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace have you been saved. Notice that. Have you been saved through faith? You have to have faith. And that's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works that no man should glory. For we were his work, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's two works here, right? It's not by self works. But the good works will come from a person who has faith, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. So this recreation of your soul into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory is happening as you walk by faith. In 1 Peter 1 and 10, Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. The word calling there is the Greek word klesis, and it means an invitation in the New Testament. It is always of a divine call. The word for election is the Greek ekloge, and it means a choosing out, a selecting, a choice by God. So since you were born again in your spirit, you now have a divine invitation from Him who saved us and called us. Notice the progression. Who saved us and called us. You don't get called 
with this calling until you get saved. So who saved us and only then called us. But notice that you also have to make certain that you will be among those whom God chooses because that calling means an invitation to partake of everything that Christ is. You're looking in the mirror and you're seeing Jesus. 1 Peter 1 and 10, Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For not just your calling, but your election sure, your choosing sure. For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom. Oh, pay attention of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be thinking, whoa, I thought I entered that way back there when I was baptized. Well, uh, you did by faith. But faith is not manifestation. Faith is what brings you manifestation. So, uh, as you do these things, you are progressively entering into the eternal kingdom because you are progressively taking more and more of your promised land, which is where God rules. That's how you enter the kingdom. First Peter 1.11 says, For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The preachers have lied to us a lot about this. Many think they entered the eternal kingdom when they shook the preacher's hand. That was the beginning. And accepted Jesus. That was the beginning. Whether you shook his hand or not is unnecessary. Who told them, quote, That's all you need to do. Now just sit, go sit down in a pew, pay your tithes, and wait for the rapture. But they don't know what they're talking about. They just accepted what their dead religion said, and they passed it on to you. And the Bible calls it leaven. Matthew 16 and 6, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You see why they're sad, right? <laughs> Father, we ask that you keep those things in our mind and that we be given this gift to always seek out your word day by day and learn and grow and receive the word of God into our hearts where it can give root to that seed so that we can bear fruit as uh, the parable of the sower shows. One out of four bore fruit. The rest fell away. Lord, we love you, and uh, we love to read your word. We love to know what it is to be righteous and what it is to be truly born again in spirit, soul, and ultimately body for those who are born again in soul. I want to point out, uh, Lord, we thank you, Father, for the gift of Jesus Christ, because when we took when we look in the mirror, we don't see a sinner. We see a sinner that's been saved by grace. <laughs> saved is Jesus. You want to know what saved looks like? Look at Jesus. We accept Jesus. We accept the reconciliation, the exchange of his life for our life. And we give up our life daily, Lord. 
It's been nailed on the cross. It's been buried in baptism. And we accept the life of Christ daily because as the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. We don't have any time to waste. Every day, Lord, let us give up the old man to death in the fiery trial on the altar of burnt offering. Lord, help us every day to deny ourselves and to let the fiery trial burn up the old man. Lord, we win because Jesus won. We need to just keep on believing that keep on believing these awesome promises and accept the fact that we don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. And the life that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, as Galatians 2 and 20 says. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for this awesome and miraculous work. Glory be to God. Well, Lord, we ask that you continue this work in us. Lord, I know some people are very busy. I mentioned uh, housewives who may have several children that distract and keep them going all day long. But you know what? We don't eat the Word of God like a hog. We just read it and read it and read it and don't do anything about it. If you just pick out small portions of the Scripture every day and think on them and meditate on them and and uh, chew it like a cow, you know. Bring it back up and chew it some more. Some people eat like pigs. They just think they've done something because they've just swallowed it whole. Never thought about it. Don't even know what it says. But if you take a small portion of Scripture every day while you're running around with your children and getting them ready <laughs> for the kingdom, um, you just chew on that. You might even write it down. You might even put it in front of your face somewhere where you pass by and look at it again. Hmm, okay. And think on it. Meditate on it. That's like the cow that coughs it back up, chews it again, you know, swallows it again, you know. Um, it's going to do you a lot of good. You'll remember it. But just to be saying you swallowed a whole bunch of Scripture today does not mean you got anything, right? So, I say to everybody out there, you know, get some um, uh, productive time in the Word and keep it with you. And um, you'll remember it. God will bring all things to your remembrance that He has said unto you. And He will He will talk to you about the Scriptures. He will remind you of what He told you. And so on and so forth. So, begin to... Make this time in the Word good time. And uh, let it be fruitful time in the Word. Thinking, meditating on what you've read. You might, like I said, pass by your computer and, and look at what you just read and go on off and take care of your children and come back and pass by and look at it again. And just, you know, make it quality. It's just like you... Pray without ceasing. I mean, some people think they've uh, done a good job of praying when they pray for a long period of time. But 
Praying without ceasing, of course, is applying the Word of God by faith to your life, right? Believing you've received everything you read. It's all yours. It's all been given. Uh, The divine nature has been given to you. You have it now if you believe it. And you have everything that you've asked of God. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them. That's what it says in the original, received. It's past tense. And you shall have them. So whatever you read, it might be something that you're going to confess all day. Yep, I got that this morning. It's mine. I believed it. I received it. I look in the mirror, and I see Jesus. And Jesus is all of those things that I must be. And all of those things that have been given to us already. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ that liveth in me. And he is. He is all of those attributes that we mentioned. He is. And he gave it all to you. Plus his gifts. Plus his Holy Spirit. Everything is yours. He made reconciliation an exchange of his life for your life. Your life is on the cross and his life is with you and in you. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for the victory that you have given us. We can exercise faith in everything you have said. We claim it as ours. We confess it with our mouth. That's mine. I see that. That's mine. This is Jesus, and he's mine. And his life is my life. His gifts are my gifts. His fruit is my fruit. Reconciliation, the exchange, has been made. And we have received all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the gospel, the really good news, which is the power of God to save the one that believes it. The good news. Help us uh, bring to remembrance, Lord, these things you have said unto us. Bring to the remembrance the fact that it's already done. Don't let us be anxious or troubled about anything. Be anxious for nothing. Just let your prayers and requests be known unto God with thanksgiving. Why do you have thanksgiving? Because you believe you've received. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that I don't live anymore. Jesus lives in me. And and what I know about the old man that hasn't been conquered, it's been done. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no more I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. His life is my life now. I don't accept you, devil. I don't accept your condemnation. I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm pressing forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We've been given the victory already by Jesus. Therefore, he says, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because he has authority over all things. 
Be anxious for nothing. Just let your prayers and requests be known unto God with thanksgiving. You know, in other words, you don't have to give it another thought. After you pray it, it's yours. It's yours. Just believe it that way. It is yours. Oh, glory be to God. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and keep you. And uh, keep on praying and believing. Praising God for the victory. Amen. Bless you. Bye-bye. Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus Jesus